0: The hallmark of success that I've seen in successful entrepreneurs is their amount of grit. Like you really just gotta be comfortable with taking a couple punches and putting yourself back on the horse and continuing to try to figure out and not letting, you know, funding crises scare you into calling in a day or crash landing or soft landing or just there's so many ways in which the you know, the trains get to fall off the tracks and you have to just consistently be okay with picking yourself back up.
1: This is Evolve CPG, a community of purpose-driven brand leaders who not only believe in better, but actively pursue it. That's better products, better brands, and better leadership for a better world. You can join our online community right now, where we're going further, faster together at community.evolvecpg.com. Join us. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, founder and creative director of Modern Species, a sustainable brand design agency helping better brands grow and scale their impact. On this episode, we're speaking with David Simnik, CEO and co-founder of Soapbox, about his interest in politics, why he chose to use business as a tool for good, and the lessons he learned on his journey towards building a profitable business.
0: Hi, my name is Dave Simnick. I'm the managing partner, or one of the managing partners, here at Impact Driven Brands. We own and operate Soapbox, we own Bushwick Kitchen, we own Good Nest, and also Fresh Science. Three of those brands are currently in market. We continue to tinker with Fresh Science to. Figure out what we want to do with it. But
1: yeah, you got to make sure it's nice and fresh.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And has science behind it. Yeah, totally. No, just what a great honor and, you know, just a a humbling invite to be here. So incredibly excited to be here with you, Gage.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to chat. We've got some overlap in a couple groups that we're in and kind of loosely connected, but I'm excited to share more about what you're up to and hopefully inspire some others because you're definitely moving and shaking as we were saying right before this. You've got a lot of uh, awesome stuff going and I can't wait to unpack some of it. So, one of the things I like to do on the show is just talk about like how you got to where you are right now. And when I was digging into your background a little bit, poking around on kind of where you were heading before you ended up in CPG. I noticed that it looked like based on a program you started and stuff you were kind of into teaching and education and maybe even a little bit of politics um in there. I saw maybe some volunteer roles or something, but you were going into that, but then right as you started maybe your masters in teaching, you shifted to to soapbox. So, I'm curious, did you soapbox. was the game plan to be a teacher and then if so, like what happened? What was the shift that kind of pushed you over into the CPG world?
0: The game plan actually was to to go and be the governor of Illinois. But seeing as that, you know, the last couple of them have ended up in jail, I was like, maybe I need to reconsider this. (laughs) Seemed a risky Uh, path. (laughs) Yeah, I was just like, Bagoiva bitch. I was like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what's really funny is there's a photo of me shaking that man's hand when I was somehow convinced enough my high school buddies to vote me through this one program that the YMCA runs called Youth in Government. And I became the youth Illinois governor, so they took oh, me down wow. to Springfield at this like gigantic state fair, and they like they like got me and Bagoyevich like shaking hands, and like the next month, like he's like thrown in jail, and I'm just like, oh no,
1: <laughs> you're like that's bad for my image.
0: <laughs> Delete all those well, images. I mean, like was a high schooler, <laughs> so like I was just like, look at this, was like this is so cool, you know. But now retrospectively, looking back upon, it, I'm like, Not the greatest associations. I loved the show West Wing growing up. I loved the promise of what our democracy can do to empower and to make a a stable government where, you know, people can flourish. And I think the other thing is growing up, I always wanted to like I don't know what it is, but like I, I really genuinely enjoy corralling people around an objective, and then saying like, "Let's go take the hill." And the only thing that I could justify that desire for power <laughs> from a very young age was just like, "Okay, well, what are you doing for others?" Like, if there's one central question that continues to come back, it's like, "What are you doing to make this world a better place?" Like, here I am. I fly a lot. I use a ton of resources in in that travel. My carbon footprint is probably way bigger than most of you know, and the, the, the average or maybe even multiple times bigger than the average of, you know, an av- like a normal person. And because of that, it's like, okay, so what are you doing? Like, okay, what yeah. are you doing? How are you actually- justifying it? Yeah, yeah exactly. And when I went to school, I studied, went to school at American University in Washington, D.C. I purposely went to Washington, D.C. because I wanted to get into politics. I chose American because they had this one multidisciplinary major called Communications, legal studies, economics, and government—basically, like the I, my major—is a bunch of minors like slapped together. So I was a generalist, like already in gun ho to to either work in politics or work in the government. And I had a ton of internships. I had basically an internship by the second semester of of me at American, and I got to do some really cool stuff. I got to work. In the Pentagon, I get to work on a. I got to work on Obama's campaign. I got to work for Michelle Ree, who is the chancellor of DC Public Schools. I got to work for Senator Tom Carper, this super moderate, like the unknown other Delaware senator. I just, I got to do some really cool things. And by my junior year, I was like, "Oh man, I don't want to do this." <laughs> it's like, oh no, like because. Like being in student government in like middle school and high school, it was like entrepreneurship. they were like, hey, you know, like we trust you to be of the students that are going to go and organize this thing or plan the dance or, you know, plan a festival or a party or, you know, start a new club or whatever it might be. And like for me, that was always like, yeah, that's what I want to do. Like count me on. But I confuse that with government when really it was the, like the thread line through my life as I always was an entrepreneur. I always yeah, was just like-, like hey, entrepreneur
1: oh and leadership kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, There's different yeah, ways crazy. to lead and different places to lead, right?
0: Just self-masochistic everywhere. Like I just <laughs> very much appreciate it. I'm, I'm not kidding. Like I'm kind of kidding, but I'm not kidding. It's just like, I'm a challenge junkie. I've always known I'm a challenge junkie. I get bored when like something is not, hey, we need you to like do something really hard. And it doesn't always have to be for my own ego. It could just be like, hey, here's something really gnarly, like and like you need to like bite into this and figure a way through it. And knowing that about myself, the other thing that's terrifying is I need whatever I'm doing to be all encompassing and, and consuming. Like which is terrifying, right? Like a nine to five for me would I would suck at it and just be abysmal. Like seriously, I just, I would be, now it's interesting. We, I have run through the thought experiment of like what happens if someone acquires us. And I think that's really fun because like, it's like, you still get to shepherd the thing that, that we've grown from like my college dorm. But in terms of like, I just don't think I'd be that great of an employee. Yeah. It sounds like we
1: have a lot in common there. Like I, part of the reason I have been doing my own thing for 13 years is I think I was a good employee in that I get, I get shit done. Right. But yeah, I was always asking too many questions or pushing the company in this direction or what if we did this or can we add this service or like what if we do this outreach campaign or whatever. And it was it yeah. was not the go sit in the desk and do the work we hired you for kind of thing. It was more of a like you accidentally brought on a partner who happens to be your employee who's like nudging you to go directions. But it's the same kind of concept. I love a challenge. I love leading people towards a goal. I guess flip side for me, I never truly thought about politics, but I love community building. And, you know, that's part of what I'm doing here with Evolve CPG. So, I've just been volunteering my whole life, like building communities and stuff. I think partly because it felt a little bit more pure than the politics side, whereas like I get the power of government and the government, you know, is necessary. But to go in there, you often have to play all these games and work the system and do all this kind of stuff. But to build community, it could feel more pure. It could just you're just connecting people around a common cause or something like that. You know, it's for me that felt a little bit more in align line with what I wanted to do, but I can also see the appeal of politics because in there's this idea that you could go in and like do it the right way. But like my pessimism says, is, is that even possible? <laughs> I don't know.
0: Here's my opinion. Living and working in DC, I get to, a lot of my friends either work for politicians, are politicians, and/or work for the government. There are a lot of really good people.
1: Absolutely, there are a lot yeah, of really, sure.
0: really good people that got to show a certain way on TV. But by and large, the vast majority of them are here because you know they have different opinions of what better is, but they want to make the country better. And I think you know the, this is a whole other podcast for a different time in a different place. But there are a lot of things that give me a lot of hope in our government, like the, the tons, right? And, and you know, there's always going to be a pendulum and different parties are going to get their way sometimes and, and not. But whew, there's just an abundance of, in my opinion, good people that are still at the helm that are really trying to do the right thing.
1: I mean, it's like anything, right? Big corporations, whatever. There's Even if it's this quote unquote evil corporation that people hate most of the people that work there are awesome and have the heart in the right place and want to want to do good stuff. But it's just like the system that gets broken often by a very few people who happen to be toxic. And I I think that's part of what I, again, like about community building is is there's less of that structure often. Like there's, there's nobody that's going to veto something just because they're trying to get reelected or because it, you know, their ego got in the way. Often it's like designed by community to be supportive of the community And that's where in business sometimes and in politics, like 95% of the people can be aligned and working towards something amazing. And one little thing destroys it all. You know, like one little political move from an executive or one little biased thing from a politician and it's done. (laughs) That's got to be frustrating.
0: Totally, right. And I think that a lot of it comes down to bigger groups are harder to come to consensus on right it's bigger groups are harder to for everyone to really know you know the intentionality of where they're coming from and then they're also just really bad actors right like just awful narcissistic terrible people who like come into a system and just like lay havoc and unfortunately those people who usually have the most ability to do harm also really like being in power (laughs) <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so it's like yeah. those who are probably the worst people to be in a leadership position really desire it, so then you're like, Oh crap. yeah, but uh, ah yeah, totally one of your one of your questions that you that you asked you know prior to this is like, why did you start soapbox and it was that yeah it was like, really interesting that shift, yeah, it was a beautiful marriage between I was working as a subcontractor for the United States Agency for National Development. It was that lifetime of what can I do to Help people. What can I? And I think the the biggest thing for me was I'm going to be in another cog, working for some congresswoman or man, and I don't think I'm really going to be able to do that much of a change. And I really was inspired by Bill Gates, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has done so much good, right? And we can totally argue on like whether or not billionaires as a concept should exist, but they do, and that billionaire decided to do some of the most noble philanthropic work that is truly sustainable and community empowered and is going to live on way past him and like just looking at like this the systematic thinking of like how they've gone about trying to make the world a better place and like really focusing their resources on often overlooked and not sexy like charitable causes is incredibly like for me I was like, that, okay, cool. I don't think politics is my thing. I want to do that. And then the next thing that went through my head. So, like, it's kind of interesting, right? Like, there was a lot of very philosophical thinking I was doing in terms of, like, what do I want to be when I grow up? How do I want to do this? Like, what do I actually want to commit my time and energy towards? And that's where Soapbox came from it. It was like, can you help people along the way and not just have to wait until you get enough money to then you can start helping people? And for us, soapbox is a one-for-one. And for each and every item that we sell is another that we donate. So we've been able to donate over 23 million bars of soap to local homeless shelters and food pantries throughout the United States. We will surpass over 30 million by the end of this year. We also have the privilege and honor of working in 65 countries around the world. How we do that is very sustainable. So in other words, like, Gage, let's say you're a soap maker in, like, northern India. The last thing you want is me popping out of a shipping container with, like, 40,000 free bars of soap because one, I just put you out of a job because everyone (laughs) just got free. soap for a long time, but more importantly, I just taught everyone in the community to like, you know, Hey, this awkward white guy named Dave just came and gave me a ton of soap. Like I'm just going to wait till he comes back before I purchase from gauge again. And like that is super destructive. So the way that we flip that model is we just fund you. So we basically cut contracts with a bunch of NGOs that either, um, do version sourcing within the community and or recycling within the community. And then we're you know paying some pretty significant wages nice. to women and disabled individuals and or giving out uh, micro loans or it's just, it's so our charity partners are the people doing the work on the ground. They're the people that should be praised. And the other people that should be praised are the people who buy our products because they make it possible. But like the coolest part of my job is we get to write big fat checks to charity partners. Like this past week we wrote a $200,000 check. Like, and that's like, that's awesome. Like I I love, 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 love doing that. So, and then what's also really interesting is in terms of like our gross revenue and how much we donate on an annual basis is insane. Like, it's not like, it's funny. Like you can look at all this through B Corp just because we are a certified B Corp and, You like, you gotta like like show your audit and everything else, and you gotta show them all the receipts, all of the receipts. Holy crap, all the receipts. (laughs) Yeah. But it's cool because, like, when people say, like, well, how do we know we trust you? It's just like, like go over there. Don't take our word for it. Like, we have a third party auditor, and we proudly put that B Corp symbol at the bottom of each of our bottles on the back or bars or whatever the product is. So, anyways, started Soapbox to solve both the social need as well as offer way back in 2010 we didn't see a lot of clean ingredient that were you know really efficacious products in the market within the personal care space and that's where we started
1: nice okay so there wasn't like some deep love of soap it just felt like a good category to focus on but the business model of give back along the way was kind of the goal and then soapbox was just like a good opportunity to pursue that
0: i'm not a dirty man I would like to believe. I would like to believe. Come on, admit it. Yeah, right. You only shower
1: twice a month.
0: The big unveil. Um, (laughs) Soap man doesn't like soap. Uh, No, I. I don't know if I necessarily am like fastidiously clean, but I'm pretty clean, right? Like I like before doing this, I would be like, "Hey, you know, like my mom uh, was an OB nurse, which is an excellent way for any of you listening who also." as anywhere near, you know, like the miracle of birth. That's a wonderful way to teach your sons, like, the birds and the bees. It's wonderful. That's what my mom did. Incredibly successful in terms of, like, terrifying us of women.
1: (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, it's funny. Like, one of my um, friends slash clients started this company called Cofective that was helping build more health equity into the healthcare systems around, you know, starting with things like breastfeeding and and childbirth and different things like that. And his mom was a nurse too. So (laughs) there's something about having a nurse mom that kind of points people towards better cause kind of work.
0: I think, yeah, I think there's definitely a nurturing, let's heal the world, you know, like let's take care of each other aspect to it. My mom's the same, same thing with my dad.
1: And I also think your model of like working with local charity partners is worth highlighting again because there are, like you said, a lot of nonprofits or people trying to do good that have more of this like white knight or, you know, whatever kind of philosophy where it's like, hey, we know better than you or we're just going to donate all this stuff. I think in the early days, like Tom Shoes got in a little bit of a trouble for stuff like that. They're like, we're gonna make yes, all these should. shoes and send them to people. And then they were like, we don't want your shoes. We want food or, you know, whatever. So they changed the they changed the model over time. Same thing with one of our clients' yum butter. Their initial idea for their buy one, give one was we'll give literal, like packs of yum butter to kids in need. And then what they found is like there's programs that exist that give the kids the well balanced diet and, and feed them the things they need. So instead they just started donating money to those. Or another example is like client Wine to Water, their model is different from charity water in that it's very much like what you do, where instead of having these $10 million rigs that come in and drill wells and build these fancy systems that then the people you built that well for can't maintain and can't build more of, what Wine to Water does is they go in and just provide the knowledge and support and teach the local community how to build it using their actual tools and equipment so that if something goes wrong later they know how to fix it or if they want to do another well on their own they can you know so i think there's those that model is much more sustainable because then it can live on and you're not destroying local economies or whatever but it's also you're getting the knowledge of the people with the feet on the ground in that country you're trying to help kind of deciding what to do to help the people instead of you from your, you know, corporate office in New York or something flying in and being like, I know what you need. So I want to just like give you a shout out that that's a really smart model and I think a, a great way to do it. So if anyone out there is listening and wants to do a buy one give one, consider something like that. It doesn't have to literally be a you're giving your product to someone. It can in some circumstances, but you can also just be funding other people doing great work.
0: Well, thank you for the shout out. Please know that there's a whole team here that makes it possible and just make sure that they're heavily caffeinated.
1: that's your job you're the chief coffee officer or something chief
0: (laughs) drug dealer hey good (laughs) to see you bill have you had another cup but one of the other things that you know prior to this you were saying hey like you know i would love to learn you know some of the biggest lessons that or at least hear about you know some of the biggest lessons that that we've absolutely yeah packaging 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 if you are watching this podcast (laughs) and you can see the video this is the horrendous thing that we put out in market. Nice, nice. So, yeah, if you ever want to lose a lot of money, launch a personal care brand that looks like automotive cleaner, very effective. <laughs> yeah. And then this is, is for my car, for my hair. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's a two in one. It's like, yeah. you know. Basically- <laughs> it's like Doctor
1: Bronner's. There's 50 purposes to it. <laughs> Use it however you
0: want. <laughs> you can buff the car and your scalp. Yikes! That's probably the biggest one. I think. We I read a ton of books and took an oh, entrepreneurship. Nice. I audited an entrepreneurship class just about entrepreneurship. And unfortunately, the like soup de jour back in two thousand eight, nine, ten was just like lean startup and ship and continue to iterate and like that's great if you're working on an app or where your product is zeros and ones. Where you can do like an upload overnight if you make a terrible mistake. You cannot do that with brick and mortar retail. You can't. You build the inventory and then shift the inventory. And then if you want to tweak or change anything, that's a UPC change, which incurs either you're taking the old product back, helping market down, or you got to pay a whole new slotting fee because of the new UPC. And sometimes, most of the times, it's all three of those. Which then means every time you <laughs> Just, want to do any type of change is a massive financial burden. So like, it's been really interesting because I love iterating and I love consistently wanting to make things better and taking customer feedback. And, and, but like, if you are in our world where like you are selling stuff to target or Walmart or Costco or even on Amazon, right? Like it is very difficult to try to make these changes. If you're working with an actual physical product that you need to make and ship. So that was, that was another thing.
1: There's like kind Bar, And I think it was when they launched their, their savory line. I'm forgetting the name of it It was like kind and something, but they had like spicy bars and stuff. But I seem to remember as we got samples of it, it tastes great, whatever expo West, but then, it didn't roll out for a long time, and you come to find out later that they did start rolling out, but they hadn't like misprinted something on the label and had to recall <laughs> like all the product, which really slowed everything down, and probably cost them crap loads of money so to your point, like there's some things you can fast iterate on, especially if you're a, a company starting out and testing stuff in a farmer's market or something like that, great, but if you're sh- shipping product. Even just regionally, but especially like nationally or internationally, like you probably want to get that stuff right before you invest tens, yeah. hundreds, thousands, millions of dollars or whatever in product and packaging and everything else and distribution. It's it's an expensive game to mess up in.
0: Well, so not not only just that, right? But I think the other, end here's a plug for Cage and his amazing firm, is like, if you're going to spend money, if you truly have a differentiated product, right? If you have something where you're like, oh, hey, this actually has real legs in the marketplace, invest the money and time to test your theories, assumptions with real life customers in focus groups, in customer intercepts, in tag alongs. Do it all. You're going to think that you shouldn't do it. And you're like, oh, man, my gut says that this will work. No, like, absolutely. Throw that idea against the wall as many different times as you can with as many different experts as you can, with as many different friends as you can. But like the real test is like get people to buy it, like genuinely give up their hard earned cash to be like, yes, validate your idea and then rigorously track how many of those people actually come back. And like the more that you can build that flywheel, that people are just coming back into the brand and wanting to buy more from you the more you're going to be able to grow and succeed and do the, you know, the mission or the good work that you seek to do. But yeah, the biggest lesson I have over the past 12 years is positioning and branding and packaging. And like, let's just take all the P's, right? Like price (laughs) positioning, packaging, placement, promotion, product, like all of those incredibly important, like obsess about them like especially if you're a brick and mortar consumer they are the most important things that you should be obsessing about like there's so many other things that I I talked to early entrepreneurs about and they're like thinking about it and I'm like I don't even care I don't even like don't even don't even <laughs> yeah. worry about it right now like you just need to be you're laser like can you on actually it.
1: afford to make and sell this product and get a margin and get it to retail like you're asking yeah. those practical questions and they're like but but but
0: <laughs> yeah or and like I just like yeah that's
1: totally Yeah, I think if anyone, there's a good LinkedIn follow, Mark Samuels from IWAN Organics. He's always talking about like pricing, for example, of like, if you don't have margins, you don't have a business um, kind of situation. So, make sure you have those margins. But yeah, there's that positioning, like you're saying, if you don't know what you're selling to who and why they should care about it, how are you going to sell it to them? How are you going to convince them if you don't even know? But getting all that stuff clear, branding, packaging, it's super important. But another thing that you said that I liked was it's the ramping your brand book that's out there for c p g kind of gives you like the growth paths and kind of some fallacies and stuff in there, but one of the things I seem to remember it was from that book that I liked was this idea of learning what your customers your your hardcore believers or whatever love, and then scaling that right like if you don't if you're not out there testing getting product in people's hands and knowing what they like about the product, it's harder to really know what you're what your positioning, what your angle is. But if you know what your fans are pumped about, about your brand, then you can scale that throughout your product development. You can scale it through your marketing. You can scale it through operations and all sorts of other stuff. So especially in the early days, just get out there and know your customers and know what they love. Makes total sense. So yeah, you've been running Soapbox for like 12 years, but then Because you're a challenge junkie, (laughs) you started diving into multiple other brands. So like, what was the transition there? Why did you decide to start acquiring and or launching brands?
0: So we bought Bushwick Kitchen. And that's we knew the founders really well. And they basically wanted to get out and move on to the next thing. So we thought it was a great deal. We thought it was a great brand. And then we also bought a baby concept called GoodNest. And GoodNest now is nationwide in Target. You can pick it up at any store, any location. But it is the most environmentally sustainable baby brand in terms of like shampoo, toiletries, body wash that's ever launched in Target. And that's because it's a silicone bottle that you can actually put a tablet into and it becomes a three in one. So basically this silicone, you put a tablet and you fill it up with your faucet and boom, you know, you have a very innovative concept that hadn't been seen before. So, we were very excited about that. We're also very excited about the, perform- the performance of the brand. Soapbox is actually, according to Nielsen, one of the fastest growing hair care brands in the US right now, depending on the dimensions, nice. we're the fastest. So, Soapbox is doing very well. But, you know, <laughs> as I was joking about before, like, oh, there are multiple years where, you know, previous branding and previous positioning and market launch and oh, did not work out. So come a long way, still have a long way to go. Absolutely love what we're doing with our team.
1: Well, on that note, if you don't mind sharing, you know, you're saying it took a little while to get the packaging positioning and stuff right or whatever for Soapbox, but it's doing really well now. But how many years did it take for it to become profitable like on paper? 10 years. If you don't want to share, that's fine. 10 years, yeah. I just want to like plant that seed for new CPG company, especially because a lot of people come in and they're like, oh, look at this company over here doing like 10 million in their third year or something. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're profiting. (laughs) Like they could be deep, deep underwater and just barely scraping by even if they're doing huge revenue or locking down giant investors or whatever. So just keep in mind, this is a long game, right? That 20-year overnight success is kind of (laughs) the standard. Yeah, that's that's the other
0: thing that's really interesting, right? Like it takes a long time oftentimes in CPG to build a brand. And I hear from a lot of my fellow co-founders and or, you know, successful CPG entrepreneurs who had an exit, or maybe they decided to, you know, do what Cliff Bar has done, right? And they build this for the long haul. It takes a while. Like, I find it so interesting that a couple of my friends are like, hey, have you heard of this brand? I'm like, yeah, that entrepreneur has been building it for like 10 years. And I hear that so often. And for us, we just made so many mistakes. And unfortunately, continue to make mistakes, but just we try very hard to make sure that the mistakes that we make don't kill the brand. So it takes time. It takes grit, takes determination. And, you know, I know one of the questions, Gage, that that you want to ask later on this podcast is, you know, best advice I can give to any entrepreneur listening. This goes, I think, pretty much to anyone is the hallmark of success that I've seen in successful entrepreneurs is their amount of grit. Like you really just got to be comfortable with taking a couple punches and putting yourself back on the horse and continue to try to figure out and not letting, you know, funding crises scare you into calling in a day or crash landing or soft landing or just there's so many ways in which the, you know, the trains get to fall off the tracks and you have to just consistently be okay with picking yourself back up.
1: Absolutely. I was actually just seeing some conversations online in two different kind of parts of this conversation. One was people like Mike Fatta making posts on LinkedIn saying, you know, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you don't need to have rich parents or a fancy degree or whatever else. You just need to be willing to put in 168 hours a week for 10 plus years to get to where you need to go, which I thought was super relevant to this conversation, but also on the how long it can take. I think some people falsely assume, oh, that's a big brand, they must be killing it. But there's been a lot of talk lately on LinkedIn as well about Oatly doing like $170 million or something like that in business and somehow losing $78 million on that. So like even a brand like Oatly that you are these days kind of seeing everywhere isn't necessarily killing it yet. You know, This kind of stuff takes time and a lot of companies... Who are out there raising capital? It's partly because you've got to get people who are so interested in making money in the long run that they're willing to just burn a bunch of it in the short term to get you from point A to point Z where you're profitable, and that can take time. Hundred percent,
0: hundred percent agree with everything a, that you just said.
1: Great piece of advice, and I think I've also read some uh, psychology studies about grit as well, about how that's one of the greatest determinations of success is. The people who end up successful, who look like they just popped up overnight, like you were saying, are just the people who didn't give up. You know, it's a survival game. I was actually just having a conversation with a client earlier today who said, yeah, it's a, it's about who can bleed the longest without dying. <laughs> like, if you, can, if you can just keep going, you know, especially through these supply chain issues and inflation, cost of goods going up. It's like whichever brand can make it through that is going to pull more market
0: share at the end of the day, right? <laughs> so, listener, if you too want this pain and misery, please come join us. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, if you're a masochist, entrepreneurship and CPG is the pit place for you.
0: No way you can scale without spending more money.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, that's good. Any other advice that you think maybe for like, cause marketing or impact-driven brands you would give that maybe unique to this kind of space of trying to not just make a ton of money but make a difference along the way?
0: Be really careful about how you put your mission forward. I think one of the things that we found out is that time and time again, we think that people really care and they don't. And that's not to say they're bad people. It's just also realizing why the customer is engaging with your product in the first place. You know, like, our best selling category within Soapbox, one of our brands, is hair care, right? It's also the reason why I got this, you know, Thor wannabe hair is because I, hello, uh, listeners. Uh, so <laughs> no, but like, sincerely, like, the reason why I, I like to have long hair is because I want to test the product, I want to make sure that the product is phenomenal, I want to see how our fragrance stays with you all day. I want to see the slippage, you know, when you're putting your conditioner through. And like when you have short hair as a guy, you just don't, you don't get to experience those things. So I, I got tired of listening to, you know, customer panels and or other members of our team. And I was just like, I want to experience this. So it also helps that I was in style. But anyways.
1: <laughs> also helps that it looks Yeah,
0: right. Fabulous. And the other reason I did it is both my brothers are bold. So it was kind of a kind of a gigantic, <laughs> <That's riveting. aha! laughs> yeah, Take that. yeah, yeah, right. Brotherly love.
1: For those just listening and not watching the on YouTube, you have also got a pretty nice beard there. So I'm picturing some soapbox uh, beard care products coming out soon. No,
0: un- unfortunately, <laughs> no. Unfortunately, no. But all right, well, maybe for one of your other brands. Yeah, maybe fresh science. Absolutely, hundred percent, hundred hundred percent. So long story short is the thing I would say about cause marketing is the closer you can get to having the cause reinforce the product quality, the better. So for example, I think Everlane, the clothing company does a wonderful job with its mission because the mission really is come with us and see a whole transparent supply chain from like A to Z, from like seed to shelf. And that's wonderful because it's saying like, look, we don't use slave labor or anything else, but we, you can trace basically from you know where that cotton is grown to where that, that product is actually shipped to you. And that whole amount of transparency reinforces the product quality, as well as saying, like, we don't want to have anyone in our supply chain that's abused. But really what you're telling the consumer is like, we make an amazing garment. So yeah. that to me is That's one of the most beautiful say, yeah. missions because it's reinforcing what the product actually does.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Because it's not just about a better supply chain. It's about by taking a look at every step of our supply chain and making sure we feel good about it, you'll feel better about the product in the end because we're paying attention to every little detail. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, 100%. so I like that. So advice to y'all out there is you know, have the grit, <laughs> stick with it, push through. Other people may be doubting it. Other people may run out of energy, but you can't. You got to keep it going. But then also the from a cause marketing standpoint, I like the idea of it's not, you can't market purely on some altruistic mission. You have to also make it about a really good product and 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 that mission product fit if, for lack of a better word is pretty critical sure there are some brands that probably succeed just off of being the slightly more sustainable version but like for how long that's kind of getting in the commodity game so you've got to be better made product but just a better product all around from a better brand hopefully
0: cool. so <laughs> from one of our brands
1: <laughs> exactly So one thing I wanted to touch on, too, while I've got you is a program we've both gone through, the 10,000 Small Businesses Program, hosted by Goldman Sachs. So when in the the stage of your business did you go through that program? And what was your focus during the program? Because a big part of the program is writing a growth plan, right? And getting feedback on it and putting rigor in it, et cetera. So I'd be curious to know what you were working on. And then also a fun, like recent thing from the 10,000 small business program is that you were featured in the Goldman Sachs campaign around promoting the, the 10,000 small businesses. So I'd be interested to hear <laughs> how that came about and, and if any interesting opportunities or results came from it.
0: Tons of interesting opportunities came about it. Fun to be profiled, very humbled by it. Um, but I mean, going back to cause, that program makes a ton of sense for one of the world's biggest investment banks, right? Like their CSR, their, you know, cause marketing program is about promoting business. That's who they are. That's also what they want to support. Now, small businesses, but it makes a ton of sense, right? Like, I'm not saying there would be anything wrong if they s- supported any of the major you know, medical charities or anything like, but I think we're kind of used to big corporations supporting those type of foundations or NGOs or whatever it might be. And that's all great. Like they totally need funding and help and all these other things. But oh. I'm laughing at your cat that has decided uh, you've to also got the hair and
1: now I've got a cat in, and just on my keyboard.
0: Gage is like, that's my hair. But, <laughs> but Goldman Sachs, I think does, does cause really well. Surprisingly, right? Like I'm perfectly fine saying that on air. Like I think their CSR program is one of the most authentic and transparent and well thought out that I've that I've ever encountered because they really champion small businesses. And they say, look, you're the you're one of the biggest growth drivers of, of the economy. We want to support you. We want to see you win and we want to put you with the best of the best so that you know you can be a more efficient, bigger, better business to help the economy spur forward. Hire more people, empower more people create better things within goods and services within the economy, make things more efficient, offer customers more choice. That's awesome. All of that's fantastic, right? So I went through the program in 2014, 2015. My growth plan was all about expanding distribution. So I think we've achieved that. But it was a wonderful program. What did you think about it?
1: Well, I was in a weird year where right kind of at the beginning of the program, COVID hit, and then I was in the national program, so we weren't at a local school we were flying out to uh, Boston for it so it was really cool because we all got to Boston and we did the first like full kickoff and it was a really great experience met some amazing people and then literally on our flights out COVID hit because I flew pretty much straight from Boston to LA for Expo West and then got stranded in Expo West because Expo West got canceled so it's like it was just bad timing and I think a lot of businesses were like what are we going to do about this?" whole pandemic thing. Is this going to be two weeks? Is it going to be two years or whatever? So the program pivoted a little bit for us and we didn't finish in the true way that the program was designed to be finished, but they kind of pivoted some of the programming to support us during weird times like a pandemic and knew that a lot of people's growth plans were just going to have to be put on the shelf. But for me, I was like, you know what? I still want to kind of continue down that path of what I was working on. And coincidentally, we're kind of on it right now, by which I mean one of my thoughts was i want to connect this community you know provide better service or support for people that are impact driven and could benefit from connecting with each other and learning from each other and and growing and maybe somewhere in there there's a business model which i haven't fully <laughs> locked down yet but you know upcoming the community part i think can turn into a more self-sustaining model than the podcast by which i mean i'm going to tap smart people in the community to lead things like classes, workshops, mastermind groups, et cetera, that can kind of drive more of a paid membership or pay to play, like individual classes kind of opportunity. So I went into the program thinking I wanted to explore something around this kind of idea, but then the pandemic hit, didn't get to fully finish the way I wanted to. So I just actually launched it without finishing the plan. And I've been kind of developing it as we go along. It just kind of started as some Zoom calls connecting people I knew in the industry. And then it turned into a podcast and then we launched a community. And then in the near future, I'll actually get smart and stop bleeding money on it and just try to find a way to at least make it sustainable, if not you know, benefit for all involved to the people teaching stuff or leading things in the courses or in the community can generate a little extra income. People who take those classes can learn how to grow their businesses and scale their impact. And then by kind of developing this model, I would be able to take some percentage of that to offset all the time we put into building this whole thing, so that's that's awesome. I didn't get to finish it fully, but like the thing that I was there to do, I'm doing anyway
0: <laughs> that's super cool that's super super cool,
1: but to answer your question, I liked the idea of the the course you know putting a bunch of people together in a room who are all passionate about their businesses at various stages, but have all gotten to a certain level of success but but maybe haven't looked. Or taking a finance class in 10 years or something like that, and just getting everyone back up to speed on some of the best practices of drawing up a legit business plan or getting funding or kind of creating a pitch deck, developing a marketing plan. I liked the idea of it. And I, you know, maybe I'll sort of reapply at some point in the future to go through the full program.
0: That's cool. Well, it's just a wonderful program. Glad you were a part of it. Also, I look forward to if you ever give it a shot again. <laughs>
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I totally agree with what you're saying about the Goldman Sachs thing, that part of what makes it work is that it fits their business so specifically, by which I mean, if they were supporting, I don't know, children's education, a worthy cause, and somebody should support that, but it would kind of raise eyebrows if that was Goldman Sachs kind of focus point, right? But the fact that they're supporting business, A, which makes sense for a financial institution, but also small business, which is the driver of the American economy and where a lot of new job growth is created, et cetera. It makes sense as a financial institution that supports businesses to have some of their give back to be support the businesses that need the help and provide the biggest impact. So I think that makes sense in terms of like picking your mission is it's got to be relevant to your product, it's got to be relevant to your brand, and it's got to be relevant to your target's why, for buying you or or that product category in the first place. So I think you're right. It's a really well-designed program from a curriculum standpoint, but also from a brand standpoint for Goldman. Totally agree. Nice. So you said you got some opportunities out of that campaign. Like what came from it? Just a bunch of people... Reaching out and wanted to yeah, I think you know like something. it's
0: always really interesting, right when when you have a brand like Goldman that gets behind you and they're like hey we're gonna we're gonna spotlight you, we're gonna highlight you we we believe in you, we want to see you succeed you know there's people who reach out that you know all of a sudden haven't you haven't talked to for a while or buyers or investors or whatever it might be, and all of that came out of that, so it's pretty cool,
1: nice, very cool, well congrats again on that campaign. it was fun to see you featured through that and fun to just continue connecting with all the 10,000 small businesses or 10 KSB abbreviated like that community. I think beyond going through the program, there's this nice community of people that uh, get to continue connecting after that. So we've there's been some action on this local Seattle area of connecting 10 KSB alum. And I know they have the app and some national kind of get together conferences and, going to Capitol Hill and trying to meet with senators and congressmen and other things like that. So it's a pretty robust program. So anyone out there that's kind of trying to grow your small business, check it out. I can't remember the URL, but we'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, thanks for popping back up on to finish this recording after a little tech snafu. Great it's to chat amazing. with you as
0: always. This has been yeah. super amazing. I'm, you know, first off, anyone who is stuck with us, you're still listening. Please, 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 please get a 10% discount on Soapbox, which is SoapboxSoaps.com, GoodNest, which is just GoodNest.com, or Bushwick Kitchen, which is just BushwickKitchen.com. All you have to do is put all lowercase uh, gauge rocks,
1: which is uh, (laughs)
0: G-A-G-E, rocks, all one word, 10% on your first order. It's on us. Thank you for staying here. Thank you for listening to what we hope is a little bit of humor, maybe a little bit of wisdom a lot of bad jokes, but just this has been such a humbling honor to be here and I really appreciate it.
1: Awesome. Love that. So we'll we'll put that in the show notes as well, the nice uh, discount offer. So thank you for that. And again, thanks for doing all that you do to try to drive the value of business or use the value or power of business to drive impact. I think for me personally, having been both on the nonprofit and the for profit, but for a cause side, I think that's the area of the biggest potential because it's a more sustainable way to drive impact because it's self-funded through the business itself. So anyway, I love it. Great chat. We'll talk more later. Thanks.
0: Take care. Take care, everyone.
1: Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about David's brands, go to soapboxsoaps.com, goodnest.com, or Bushwick Kitchen. and enter Gage Rocks for 10% off your first order. That's all lowercase, all one word, G-A-G-E, Rocks for 10% off. Subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel for more innovator interviews, expert advice, and leadership discussions. If you like this episode, leave a heart, thumbs up, or review and share it with your colleagues. As an ever-evolving show, we also love feedback. So send us your thoughts or ideas for who we should talk to next, to evolve at modernspecies.com.